I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. So you want to make a film in British Columbia. You've got a script, a director, maybe even a rough cast and crew willing to come on board. But do you have any money? And if not, how do you get funding? The landscape and road to filmmaking in Canada is one peppered with government grants, searching for private investment, or even crowdfunding. And with that funding, you usually have to meet certain kinds of criteria. Enter Rochelle Chartrand. Rochelle is an award-winning producer, past president of Women in Film and Television Vancouver, and now president of My Precious Pictures, an award-winning production company based in Vancouver, Canada. Rochelle started out with acting aspirations, but quickly pivoted to life behind the camera, writing scripts, pitching projects, and then securing funding to get them off the ground and into production once underway. We discuss the journey of producing films, the ups and downs one encounters along the way, and then we break down her latest venture, a feature film entitled Chained. If you've ever wondered how Canadian content gets made in this country, this is the episode for you. Enjoy. All right. Hello, Rochelle. Welcome to Ventropolis. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Are you working right now or are you enjoying a bit of the summer? Um, well, the last week and a half has been extremely busy because I, I took a couple of weeks off and was in Alberta with some family finally, which was yeah. amazing. My niece uh, just graduated. So use that as an opportunity to um, go visit. And then, um, yeah, we've had some exciting things happen in the last week and a half with um, with a project chained actually, which was just released in June. So yeah, back at it, busy, but it's, you know, like a working vacation because I love it so much. Yeah. And we're going to get into chained that that's yeah. the, uh, the latest project that you worked on. So mm-hmm. just for everyone listening, I think like this is a little bit of a unique episode for me because most of my guests are generally servicing sort of the multitude of U.S. productions that shoot here in BC. Um, but the reason I love having you on as a guest is because you're kind of going to take us through the experience of making a Canadian project with Canadian cast and crew and the financing and producing of such a Canadian project, which I think is so awesome and long overdue, and so many people will learn from from someone like you. So really excited to have you on today. Yeah, I'm really excited as well because um, original programming versus service work here in BC is something that I'm I'm really passionate about. It's wonderful that we have all of this um, work coming in from Hollywood and around the world, but it's really, really vital that we um, support the indie film industry here. And so I want to help. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, you know, everybody, it's this mystery, right? Like, how do I get funding and how do I make my own stuff? And how hard is it to do it here? You know, because mm-hmm. the American stuff kind of takes over, it takes precedence, uh, just because of the budgets and, and just the ease of which we've done that for so many years. So um, yeah, super excited to hear about your journey. So buckle up, everyone. So h- how did you kind of get into film? Like, where did you grow up? Yeah, so this is um, a, a winding journey of its own, but I'll... They I'll, always are. I'll take <laughs> I grew up in just outside of Edmonton in a small town. And so the idea of um, working in the film industry was not realistic, right? Like yeah. my, for one thing, I thought that 
actors made the movies. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. Well, the you know, it's between. funny. No one tells you this stuff though, right? Like I always no. harp on like an old woman about Google, like everything's on <laughs> Google now, but it wasn't, there wasn't that same receptacle for information. No, besides Steven Spielberg, you didn't know who a director was or still trying to explain to my family what a producer does. So really, really thought that the actors were the center of everything. So always, even from a very young age, wanted to be a movie star, wanted to be an actress, but just did not know not one person who had ever done it or even worked, you know, in any capacity Mm -hmm. in the industry. So I ended up actually uh, becoming a physics teacher. I got my um, bachelor of secondary education, majored in physics and minored in math. And Whoa, what a turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, that you're like, I can't be an, I don't know how to be an actor. So, you know, I'm going to be a science, uh, I'm going to be a math and physics pro. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I loved about teaching in, in the regular public system, which I only did for three years, was the performance aspect of it. And even with physics, I always tried to use story in order to teach. An interesting, an interesting thing is that throughout my schooling, um, I, I was very creative and, and wanted to write and would write stories and essays for school and failed miserably. Like yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to become a teacher is that I was actually um, a wayward teen. I was very wild and didn't actually, I remember running into a teacher of mine later on and he was shocked that I became a teacher, but it was that wanting to um, help youth, which, right. you know, it comes back into play even today. So very, very passionate about youth, that pivotal time and um, the power of external influences. In that case, it was teachers telling me I wasn't a good writer. Right. So I excelled at physics and math. So that's the route I went. And Isn't that um, amazing how a teacher can can shift that? That's oh. so powerful in, in in the best ways and the worst ways. Yes, we could right? have a whole conversation. I know, I know. And that. you're working in the system too, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing it even from the other side. But I do love mm-hmm. the performance. I love that yeah. you say that, that mm-hmm. you're right. Like teaching and explaining does have a level of performance to it. And we all remember those teachers. Yeah, and improvisation and, and all of that. So, and I really, really love physics. I, I'm a very curious, curious person and yeah, it was just um, something that really, the only subject that really captivated me. And then I was just good at math. Like that yeah. just. Um, which helped, which, which was foreshadowing to your producing yeah, days. for sure. <laughs> oh, it's all, it's funny how you think you're going off path and really it's just accumulating yeah. tools and knowledge and experience for what the end um Well, and who knows if this is the end, really. So, um, but there came a time in my mid-20s where I was like, I I say I I had a quarter-life crisis and um, just had to go after my dream. And so I actually, much to the chagrin of my parents, quit teaching and headed out west to become a movie star. (laughs) And There, um, there it starts. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's some winding journey in there with my my now ex-husband, but ended up in um, Vancouver and very quickly, well, two things. I realized that I wasn't a very good actress. <laughs> which you're you're like- right, right? Like everyone thinks, <laughs> I wanted to be an actor too. And I, I did some auditions as a kid and stuff, but I, the same thing. And also no one, I didn't take any classes, right? Yeah. 
So, of course, I overacted. And I, I find every, the subtleties of it, to me, are probably where the beauty is for many actors. Well, and it's such a, like, I, I recommend everybody try acting because it really, you learn so much about yourself. I actually yeah. thought I would rock auditions. I got every job interview I ever had, got a teaching job a week out of school. Like I just thought, oh, auditions is just like an interview. I'll nail it. But because I cared so much and I was so Mm self-conscious, I I froze. Like I, so acting classes, I actually enjoyed, but I enjoyed more the, um, the character development and talking about the arcs and the story. I would care just as much about my scene partners, you know, character as my own. And then when we had to go up to perform, I was like, oh, do we really have to do this? Like the worst part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which most people love. You're like, that's a sign. Yeah. And so there was a a point when I was um, very disgruntled about the roles I was going out for because I was, you know, mid twenties, but looked much younger and had longish blonde hair. And so I was, you know, going out for hoochie mommy, mama number one or waitress and and that. And I was like, excuse me, I have a physics degree. Like it was very... frustrating. And there was a little bit of ego there that I wasn't. So I considered leaving acting, but at the same time I was um, starting to write because I was going to write myself a role, the kind of role I wanted to play, but very quickly realized that, oh, this is actually what I wanted to do. Like I said, when I was young, I really, I loved telling stories, but I was told I wasn't good at it. And Mm -hmm. so I started writing and fell in love with it. And so I became, you know, self-taught, you know, reading all the books. And I was writing this one screenplay that went through, I don't even know how many drafts, just because every time I took a new class, I I would use it. But at that same time, I, um, I found a school in, well, it found me. Um, in Burnaby that worked with at-risk youth and young offenders. So it was Mm -hmm. teaching math and science. And I just like, I I couldn't believe that a school like this existed. So again, like that passion for youth and being able to help youth was, was very, very strong. So I went back to teaching for, for four years and it was, you know, most fulfilling, challenging, time of my life in many ways I learned so much mm-hmm. and and at the time I was also writing and so I um yeah and when and you say writing when you say writing do you mean writing scripts or do you also mean writing like like stories like fiction or nonfiction long form yeah so that's a good question it was screenplays specifically screenplays because I was not comfortable doing prose probably again because of the negative feedback I got when I was younger, I had a lot of writer's block around expressing my ideas in, in prose. So the thing I liked about screenwriting is that there's a structure to it. It's very, it uses your left brain as well, right? Like the science, science, math in me was like, Oh, okay. Here's some rules that I have to apply that provide a structure. And then within that, I can be as creative as, as I want to be. Oh, that's such a nice way of putting it. It's so true, right? There was like some guardrails that made you feel a bit safer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the, you know, really exciting things about screenwriting and also that, you know, when you're writing action lines and that you have to be very concise. It's not Mm -hmm. about using 10 adjectives. Yeah. They always joke like a new person's script, right? Is like a one page monologue on page four. And it's like, (laughs) oh no. 
like lead actor stares out and it's like 17 lines of, you know, you're like, oh God, no, this is a new yeah. writer. It's like, yeah, exactly. And, and I, so I liked the efficiency of screenwriting. And again, then it just became all about the stories. And then my script started to, you know, there was only a couple of them, but started winning some awards and that um, I, I volunteered for an event with Women in Film, the Vancouver International Women in Film Festival. And they had me do um, organize some pitch sessions. And so I had a few connections, just like very, very like light connections. Yeah. But I was like, Oh, like I knew one casting director and I'm like, can you come? And he's like, great. And so just pulled in these people for this event and it, and it went really, really well. And so then I was asked to join the board of directors. And again, like one of the, the reasons I was invited to be on the board was they needed somebody to head up the education, the workshops and the mentorships and that. And, you know, my background as a teacher specifically, they thought, oh, you would, you would do a really great job. Isn't that and interesting obviously- how pivotal that little yeah. moment that you thought was so unrelated is already yeah. strung through everything you've said so far. I know. And it, and it still does. Um, it's yeah. So I did that. And then after about two years of, and just at that time with women in film, not to promote women in film too much, but I'll promote hey, women, women in, in film. Hey, women in film are very important, <laughs> Rochelle. I know. But I will I, never minimize women in film. Yeah. But this organization in particular was absolutely pivotal in my, um, in my career journey. Like I met even organizing those workshops. I just met so many people because I would organize workshops that I wanted to take. So, and who yeah. I wanted to meet. And, and so I made some great connections without any pressure of hire me. Right. Like, well, or- and the other thing I'm hearing too, is like, you just started doing things. Right. And, and it's funny when you just, and we all think it's so simple, just start doing things, right. Yeah. Create the job you want, start writing stuff, start showing up, start making workshops that you want to go to, you know, just yeah. start. And I know it's this cliche thing of like, get out of your own way and start. But it's it's truly that simple sometimes is one of those little pebbles in the pond and all of the ripple effects that come from just showing up. It's really unbelievable what can happen. For sure. And, and the fascinating thing is that the reason I was doing that with women in film was not for my career. It's that I was going through a divorce and yeah. a second divorce at that. And so I was... Um, just wanting to keep busy. It was not career driven. I was right. like, it's safe. I'm, I'm meeting people. I'm not, not because I wanted to meet people in particular, just because I didn't, I needed an excuse to get you out needed of my something. home. <laughs> yeah. You needed something. So it was, again, there wasn't that eagerness to it or that heaviness to it. It was doing it for something else for another yeah, reason, I which I think people can feel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just lovely. I created such lovely relationships just, yeah, based off that. And then I was vice president. And then the president at that time had to step down because she was just getting really busy with work, which was awesome. And then I became president of Women in Film. And wow, yeah, it was so such an honor for like, and just felt it was bizarre because the few years that I had been on the board, I had built such confidence and there was some women on the board um, who, who just believed in me so much that I was like, Oh, okay. Well, if they believe in me, then maybe I can do this. And, and so I just, yeah, just went and just dove right into being president and gave it a lot. And yeah, the organization, it was at the time where it was like save BC film 
And yeah, what year was that? That I seems like was, so long ago yeah. in my mind, but it really wasn't. I think it was 2012. Yeah, like not long ago. Yeah, no. You and still it was- see the odd bumper sticker on someone's <laughs> old truck. <laughs> You're like, dude, you got to take that off now. <laughs> yeah, there was like a mass exodus. Like for those yeah. who remember, there was companies moving to Toronto. It was yeah. just people leaving to go back to, you know, their regular jobs pre. And it can uh, happen again, right? We don't I know. be fooled. Like we, we, we are at the mercy of America and many of these. Yeah. We hate to say it, right? Canada hates to admit that stuff in any industry, but- it's true. Right. With the dollar and, and the tax credits, like that can well, disappear again. That's exactly why I'm so passionate about building the the independent industry. Yeah, here. exactly. Yeah. And that came out of that time. Like I didn't really, I was not political at all. I wasn't, we had a wonderful advocacy committee, but I wasn't really involved in advocacy. I, w- I was just more like, I need to save this organization because at this time, like nobody's buying memberships. So yeah. <laughs> like people are thinking about leaving the industry. Yeah. So we just did some really unique things to um, to encourage people to buy memberships. We actually increased our membership during that time when, like I said, lots of organizations were closing. And really, because people had so much time on their hands, we did lots of mentorships because people were just open to giving of their time. So we did lots of mentorships in that, and you had to buy a membership in order to do the mentorship. Right. So that was yeah. kind of our thing. But then with a larger membership, then we could go get sponsorship because you have a large membership. So I learned a lot about business um, yes. doing that and turning that organization around with the most phenomenal board of women uh, ever. So, and our executive director at the time, Carolyn Coombs. Um, yeah. So, and then, and then some things, my career just started to pick up. I mean, now you have connections and people are reading your scripts. I had scripts in development with some of Canada's largest companies. I, I left that teaching position for some, some political reasons. Our funding got cut and it just had the program had changed from what I was so passionate about. Yeah, which and happens. Then, yeah. Um, and sometimes and then, that's the universe nudging you yeah. forward, right? For sure. And I still, I'm still in touch with some of the students all these years later. It's, it's wonderful. That's great though. That's a testament. I still talk to some of my old teachers. Mm, yeah. And right? these kids were, like I said, they were, you know, young offenders, some of them gang entrenched youth. So just a very, very humbling experience working with them. And then, so I went and I taught part-time with, at a private education um, center working, working mostly one-on-one with youth with um, on the autism spectrum or with FASD or different learning disabilities. So far, far <laughs> like even within my teaching profession, it's very eclectic. I, I yeah, you, you're on the outskirts. You really like a challenge. Yeah, and it's all about the youth. I and two things that I skipped was that I lived in Korea for a year and in India for three months, also teaching ESL, which at the time I was right. And Korea was, you know, still wanting to be an actress. So just really filling my creative cup and trying to learn lots. And it started my spiritual journey, which is such a big part of, of my life. And then something happened. I, you know, got a couple of big paying gigs. So was able to um, leave teaching for good. And then, oh, at that time, I had also written my memoir. (laughs) 
just nice. uh, <laughs> published my one year diary, which talks a lot about my time at Women in Film and my struggles as a screenwriter. It's called Chrysalis, a dark and delicious diary of emergence. It um, is a spiritual journey for sure and how I heal different relationships in my life. But such, you know, um, filmmaking is such a huge part of me that it you know, it's, it's intertwined in there as well. Um, and how I opened up to, to creativity and, and again, confidence and self-worth and all of that, which is so important and often lacking in this industry. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, so where are we? Oh, so Titus Heckel is somebody I met who shockingly also has a physics degree. He's a screenwriter. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, there's actually three of us that I know of in town. Uh, somebody else who has a PhD in string theory, which we were also... So tell um, me you're writing, the three of you are together writing some sort of crazy well, quantum physics, other world script. Two of us are. Titus and I are. We're writing, this is my absolute passion project. It's called Theory of Evelyn. And um, I'm not a producer on this. I'm just a co-creator. And it's about um, a genius 24-year-old theoretical physicist, a a female who comes from a trailer park and (laughs) she's wild and not accepted at all in, in academia. And so it's kind of her, um, her journey of trying to um, deal with the powers that be and be a woman in a, in a male dominated industry. And it's sort of her rise and fall in pop culture. And it's loosely based on some of my experiences. Well, and they always um, say, write what you know, right? Like Ricky Gervais always talks about that with all of his shows is just write what you know. You think, and I'm not saying you say this, but like people think, Oh, that's, there's no story there. But when it's that truth, you can, you know, what do they say? Like people will watch good characters do, almost anything yes. versus versus having a great plot with weak characters, right? So it's not necessarily about that that location or the plot when mm-hmm. you have a really strong character developed that you're Absolutely. invested in, right? Yeah. Um, and lots of the, it's funny because we're working with CPA Films on this, a local production company. And um, it's funny because when we go over story things and they're like, oh yeah, well, we don't believe that that would happen. It's like, oh, actually it did <laughs> Like, right? you know, I know. Yeah. I don't always want to say which things are fact and which things are right, fiction, exactly. but I'm like, yeah. yeah, I actually did that. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So anyways, Titus and I were working on that and some other projects. He is super, super talented by far. You know, he's such a creative writer where I'm really strong in structure. He's just like, like the the chains are off as far as creativity with him. So we make a really good team, but neither of us were getting anything out of development. And so um, I guess it's like three or four years now, you don't know. Well, Um, that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic is like getting things into development, right? Like you write a bunch of stuff and I had a screenwriter on before Craig Wenman, but getting that stuff from your living room that you've written to out in the world, like how does that even happen? Right. That's another entire journey that people go on. Well, yeah. And even, you know, like I've had one project in particular that's been with two production companies and well, even Theory of Evelyn as well. And it's so it's, you know, you think as a screenwriter, oh, I just need to meet somebody. I just need to, you know, find a producer. And it's like, it's, that's just the beginning. And right, now being yeah. on the producer side of it, like, and we can, you know, talk. Yeah. About, yeah. Let's get into that in, in um, a sec. So 
like, it's just like, I won't take a project on if I'm not passionate about it. And it's because I won't do that to a screenwriter. I just won't. Like, yeah. I will not. They put so much into writing a screenplay with, for no money. I mean, crew starts getting paid before a screenwriter does because you get yeah. paid on the first day of principal photography. So it's it's like there's so many problems with the way the industry um, is set up and to pay our writers. It's it's really yeah, because, one because of the you, issues. When something gets optioned, like say you have a script and someone options it, which means sort of right, they'll like I, I want to buy it, but I might not make it, right? So mm-hmm. I'll give you some money and now it's mine, but it could sit in a vault. And yeah. I know that happens all the time is you get your script purchased and then it might never get made. Well, and and an option in Canada is they'll give you a dollar and they don't even actually give you the dollar. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's not even like, <laughs> like you get a hundred no. grand and then- No, just- no, not in Canada for sure. Not, And I don't think in the indie world in the US as well. Right. Like, I mean, if you sell something, something to the studio, maybe nowadays, but not just anybody and, and the script yeah. better have won some awards or something like that. Right. So we, neither of us were getting anything out of development, which was extremely frustrating. Um, and so I was script consulting at the time and Titus came to me with this film and he's like, it's about a young boy who finds a man chained to the wall. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Titus, like, this is so not my thing. Right. Um, but he's like, Oh, please read it. You know, like you're really good at structure. And so I'd like to get your feedback. And I read it and I, and I fell in love with it. I was like this young boy, um, you know, is experiencing being bullied at school, but also abuse at home. And it's, it's really about toxic masculinity and the cycle of abuse. And so going back and just to for those of us, this is the film chain. Oh yeah, just, I'm just sorry. To, that's okay. But just to be clear, this is your yeah. most recent project, just so people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so going back to you know like the youth that I worked with when I left left that school, I always wanted to tell a story about the youth and and what they go through because I, like you know not to get too on the political side of things, but the way that we treat our at risk youth and our young offenders is is abhorrent. Like it's yeah. just not how we should be treating youth who are in pain yes. and um, their actions are because they're acting out in pain. So when you put them in jail, <laughs> it's totally, not- <laughs> we can have a whole, we can have a whole yeah. discussion about that, about drug yeah. use and trauma for sure. And, and why we don't spend the money in the early days for intervention yeah. versus reacting later releasing, on, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants Colby to talk about that. So yeah, yeah but I hear you. So that's why this film, which is about the cycle of abuse, I I was like, well, this is it, right? Like, this is the power of story is that um, you can have a movie that, you know, and and Chained does not have a a Disney ending, like right after, it's not an after school special about abuse. It's quite dark, but, you know, there are some moments of lightness in it. And I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to make movies that are highly entertaining and have some sort of social message or on a, on a broader um, scope, just that will build empathy and help people understand what in this case, what some youth go through at home and why they would then um, become uh, violent or, mm-hmm. or then abuse. And so that's what the movie is about. So I fell in love with it. Um, I wasn't a producer though. So, <laughs> right. um, 
Titus came back to me, I think two or three months later, and he, he couldn't find a producer that was so, that was passionate about it the way he thought he wanted, because he also wanted to direct it. And he had only directed one low budget indie before. Um, So when he came to me and he asked me, Rochelle, will you produce this? I was like, yes, let's do this. We're going to get something out of development, whether it's the last thing. Had you produced before? before Like short, like short films years ago, like usually when I was acting in them or um, there was a couple that I produced, but like, producing short films I was like I don't want to produce it's so much work it's so much work especially and this is um we'll get into why I chose the financing that I did um it like I was acting and also wondering what was going on with catering yeah (laughs) and then when I was super (laughs) fun it's not super fun and then or I was just producing and doing the catering (laughs) Well, that even blows my mind when, like, when like Hollywood actors like Ben Affleck direct a film and then they star in it. I'm just like, how in the hell are you doing both of those things? Yeah, but at least they're they're contained in the creatives, right? Like, you're not yeah. thinking about like true. Are you're we not on thinking about for- what. Yeah, is crafty is crafty set up and plugged in. The coffee cold, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and so when I was producing some of the short films I was doing the catering which I'm not a caterer like it's just so I had all of this heavy um stuff around producing because people asked me to produce over the years especially you know my time at um women in film you know like oh you're there's no lack of of people needing that right Mm -hmm, for sure but I just like that was my memory of producing so when I started, when I took on Chained, I mean, it's it's a very contained movie. Um, almost half of it takes place in, inside a warehouse where this man is chained inside the wall. So it could have been done ultra low budget. And right off the bat, I said, it is as much work to produce an ultra low budget movie as it is to produce a larger budget movie. It's just the work is going to be in different places. It's so going it's to the take- same steps, right? Like you don't skip steps. I I mean, sure, you have one location, but... Yeah, I I would say what I mean by it, like the different budget levels, is like we could have done this for $400,000 and or $200,000, like ultra, you know, and go the telefilm talent um, to find or whatever it was called at the time. Or, you know, try and go bigger budget. Where the work is... um, is done is different, but at the end of the day, you've exerted as much energy. Yeah. So it's just, where are you putting the energy? And at the end of the day, do you have a movie that anybody's going to get to watch because yeah. it's been, you know, so low budget that it's just going to, you know, be friends and family who, whoever gets to watch it. That was my idea. Anyways, obviously there are some incredible stories of ultra low budget movies that, that break that, that the breakthrough. Yeah. yeah. So question, like yeah. when he approached you, because when I think back to like your writing, you know, did that confidence, like, were you afraid? Did you want to say no? Or did you, because you were so passionate about the content that over, over art, what is the word? Like th- that superseded your, any sort of fear or worry? Yeah. So like, I don't know. My confidence in screenwriting comes in the fact that I'm, when I take on a project, I can see something that maybe other producers can't and can actually give, give notes and ideas that um, are helpful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like 
sometimes the writers really like the ideas and, and I can pinpoint a problem instead of just saying, oh, it's not working. Right. It's like, well, that's like the most not like un- unhelpful note yeah. you can get from, from a producer. So that part, like I had done lots of um, consulting. So I knew we would be able to get the project to, to a place for sure. It was already in great shape. But my confidence came completely from a place of frustration and that I'm like, I'm either going to need to go back to teaching or do this because right. nobody else is, is, you know, I'm, I, we, I had projects with big Canadian production companies. And so I'm like, if You're they're at a, bit of a standstill, yeah. And they're just not, I mean, they're busy. They're so busy. And that's, you know, comes into the whole uh, service work as well as like, they're, especially coming out of such hard times. It's like, you make hay when the sun is shining. So I understand that for sure. So it's just yeah, like go I have money to do is, it go myself. for the big stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. I also so, was naive. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> because, that's the best thing you can be though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I I think back to sometimes in my life when I have made big courageous choices and it is completely out of naivety. Like when I was teaching physics, my first year I taught grade 12 physics because the principal came to me and said, hey, do you want to teach grade 12, like something had happened to the other teacher. I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. It's high school physics. Why not? Where there was teachers there who had been teaching for 15 years and still didn't want to teach grade 12 anything because of the, you know, diploma exams and, you know, the pressure of teaching grade 12. Yeah. High stakes. And so I, but I didn't know. (laughs) So I'm like, what a little bit of ego, whatever (laughs) going. So I was, I was very confident and I just, yeah, it was also... Well, it just goes to show you everybody doesn't know what they're doing when they say yes. Oh. We always assume that someone's <laughs> going to say, yes, I will produce this film. I'm very learned in producing and I've done 175 <laughs> films, right? Like that's what we assume. And so we think, mm-hmm. well, God, I could never do it. But that, they had a first one. Yeah. At some point way back, they had a first one, right? Yeah. And I knew that I had a lot to learn. Again, I also had a lot of um, connections that I I knew would help me. I had some really, you know, high level friends who I would take for coffee and say, just, you know, what is the, you know, what are the challenges here? What do I do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I realized from everybody that what everybody said is that the indie film financing model doesn't work. And why doesn't it work? Well, one of the reasons is because there's a lot of, and we'll get to this, like when we talk about change, but there's a lot of like, I don't know, like this has to happen before this can happen before this can happen before this can happen. And if one of those things doesn't happen, it all falls apart. Oh, that sounds like the government. (laughs) Yeah. Which it kind of is, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially because like, a few chunks of the yeah. um, financing are either tied to government or banks. No wonder. And so, yeah, there's just, it's, it's this sort of situation where there's all these different pieces that have to be put in place in a particular order and timing is everything and, and not everybody works on the same schedule for yeah. the, for things. And so it's, um, but again, I didn't know. So, um, I had actually started this film. I forgot about this, this ladies film financing lab, where I brought together some women in the local BC industry to try and, you know, like come up with new ideas of financing and that. And one of the ideas that came out was, um, this idea of doing, you know, that like, how can we 
the uh, the actual IP, start earning money before Which is intellectual property, just for yes. people, intellectual property, right? Right, yes, yeah, sorry. And um, that to create... Um, some sort of value from the IP before before you actually shoot something. So this is not a new idea. You know, a book, if something is, you know, Lord of the Rings was made into a movie, but Lord of the Rings, the books already had value. Mm-hmm. And so there was... Um, um, a, a built-in audience already. And well, so, I read it, just sorry not to interrupt, yeah, but I've no. read an angle about that as well, where people say now to, to get a film made, it's almost better to write the book. Yeah. And you have a double, now you have double distribution and you actually give yourself a chance because it's already, it's like already packaged up as a pitch. Like this is the film I would make, right? Mm-hmm, well, I don't sure. know what your thoughts are on that, but I mean, that is another angle, right? Of let's, I've seen so many books these days get optioned to be films, yeah. right? And so you already Before get they're your- even released, like Reese Witherspoon yeah. has the option, books before they're even released. So. Right. Yeah, because yeah, no. she has a production company too. And I think to yeah. what you said further earlier on is like to also give herself roles, you know, that yeah. she doesn't see happening, even as she quote, age is out of Hollywood, <laughs> not even old at all, but- I know. Right? And so it's like, well, I don't want to- just be a, a, a mom in every single one, yeah. you know, yeah. there's more to tell here. So a lot of these women in Hollywood are starting their own production companies for exactly mm-hmm. that reason. Right. It's very and they have the money and the power now, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. I also remember Reese Witherspoon saying something though, which was fascinating to me is that it took after a couple of movies had become successful that she's like, now the studios will answer my emails. Isn't that interesting? And I'm like, they weren't answering your emails before. Like, oh, it's not just me. Yeah. I know it's comforting <laughs> and terrifying to hear that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't take it personally at all. Like, um, So you took yeah, this but, on, right? You were yes, ready to go. Yeah. And, and just like, so I wanted to do something with my company. So, you know, like the part about them being highly entertaining and that it would have a social message attached, but that I would go genre. And Chained is probably the lightest genre of all the projects I have. It's a psychological crime thriller, but this idea of creating worlds and characters that audiences will buy into perhaps even before the film is, is made, but for sure after and beyond. So I, you know, I started my company, my precious pictures, my precious from from Lord of the Rings. That's what I was going to ask. I figured as much. <laughs> yeah. And um, that all the projects would be socially charged with this long-term vision of creating um, an online platform, an audience building and engagement platform for all the projects, a real fun place for people to go and engage with the characters, the worlds, and, you know, also to have the stuff that you used to find on extras on the DVDs. So then change. So we right off the bat experienced some great support and success. We were accepted into this JETS initiative, which takes place during Berlinale or the European film market. And it's telefilm supported. We were one of um, eight Canadian films chosen, I think, out of the 26 projects that were there. So we went to Berlin, which was amazing. And we pitched the project. Um, You had to submit the script and a marketing plan. And just like, I did not know what I was doing. Um, But again, I just had such a huge support system of people who shared their marketing plans with me and, you know, budget top sheets and and all of that. Because really, all I knew was, was a script. 
script um, and experience in business and math and all of that. So very, very comfortable with that part. And You could have written all in physics formulas. Yeah. Just be like, this is my pitch. This is how I'm going to do this. Well, that's Here's a calculator and you'll find the answers in here. Yeah. So we were accepted and then we went and we actually won for Canada, which was just like mind blowing. Right. And so now, you know, I'm feeling like I'm on the right path. Right. Like this is pistons are firing. Yeah. And all of this resistance of being a creator, solely a creator felt like they were falling away. We also uh, received Harold Greenberg, um, financing. Which is amazing. Um, Yeah. The polish and packaging stage one, again, like so, so highly competitive and um, the feedback on the script was really great. And we were just, you know, flying high. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember coming back on the trip from Berlin and uh, watching a movie on the airplane and the actor who was on in the movie, I was like, oh, Titus, we got to get this so-and-so I won't say who it is, but, um, and he's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. (laughs) Like a list talent. Right. And like, well, whatever. We're like flying high. We just won literally flying high. We're (laughs) in the plane. Exactly. Um, and then, so when I Googled the movie, it turns out that one of the jurors on the jets, uh, initiative was a co-producer on the film. So he um, he really, really loved Chained. And so so part of the program, so for any indie filmmaker from Canada, I highly recommend it. Jets, it's called the Jets Initiative. And the like deadline. J-E-T-S? Or yeah, yeah. The and Jets Initiative, okay. Yeah. And it's usually the application is in December. So high, highly recommend it. I actually went there again this year with another project. Amazing. Um, yeah. That's good very, advice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just really helped like having that initial burst of, you know, acknowledgement and especially because it was, the jury was made up of um, sales agents and distributors versus other filmmakers. It was about marketability. Right. So that was something that is Which unique. let's be honest is most of the reason why something <laughs> makes it or doesn't, even mm-hmm. though, you know, you've got this beautiful script. It's like, it is a business. Yes, 100%. And there's a lot of, I mean, like the Nickel Fellowship, which actually Chained was a semifinalist in, like the winners of those films and, you know, like the finalists in that, like highly competitive, but they don't always make great movies because sometimes it's, you know, it's a great piece of literature, but it doesn't translate to being a marketable film at all. Yeah, like they they always, like, who's going to watch this, right? And also I think with distribution globally, some things sell better in other countries you know, mm-hmm. something might work here, but it doesn't translate to Asia. Yeah, you know, in oh, terms for of, sure. You know, like action, for example, is something that's kind of globally understood, right? Yeah. Like blowing up cars is universal. <laughs> you want to blow up cars, you know what, we're going to make it. We can put it all over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but comedy doesn't travel well. Yeah, yeah for it's sure. very cultural co- comedy, yeah. right? For sure. So we, so we came back and, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're never going to get this guy. Like you're, you're, you know, basically what I heard was the agents are not even going to respond to you. Like, it's really, really hard to get A-list talent because you have to get through their talent. And until you have financing in place, nobody's even going to look at you. It's the first thing they're going to ask is what is your financing um, plan? 
And where are you with it? And so I'm like, well, whatever, I have nothing to lose. So I emailed this um, person's agent on a Tuesday. He forwarded me to, you know, the next morning looped me in with the other, and I had no financing in place here. Um, Looped me in with the other agents the next morning. And then I followed up on the Thursday and Friday afternoon at six o'clock, his agent called me and was like, sorry for calling you on a Friday. I'm like, (laughs) Like, this is awesome. Thank you. And she was just like, we think this is a wonderful project for him. It's, you know, it was the man that was chained to the wall. So super, super challenging. I wrote, like, I've become a very good, where I said, like, I used to not be able to (laughs) write essays. I've become very good at writing passionate emails. It's something that I've, I've gone. You've channeled that prose into your pitching. Yeah, for sure. And, and the emotion, right? Like the authenticity of why I, as a producer, am passionate about this. So, and again, that's like something they say never do is write long emails And, and it doesn't always work, but I'm like, well, I would rather them have the information and know everything than then them say no and say but but this but this and you know and you know what that's you your voice chance. and when you when you talk about authenticity that's your voice and it's yeah. like you have to just you have to be true to that right mm-hmm. so if that's how you want to write it I just am always like you know what you have to write from your voice and if it's not like a screenplay with short lines and then sign off then it, it, that's not you no exactly so like just again flying high like you gotta be kidding me like this actor is potentially you know this was just his agent but Mm -hmm. but he was in the middle of shooting some other things and was starting another project um and I'm like well that's fine I don't have the financing in place yet and again never once asked about the financing not once interesting I did say we were applying to telefilm and it said that the other stuff we had you know the Jets program which obviously helped um Of course, my I, I say that my greatest skill as a producer is leveraging. Like, and if you can take one thing and like that Jets thing, I leveraged that for two years. Yeah, like, yeah. It just always, right? And, and even after, because again, I said, you know, the jury thought it would be really marketable. So then again, got news that the script was a semifinalist in the Nickel Fellowship, which is the most competitive competition in, in the world. So we're just like, this is the easiest thing ever. Making a feature is so easy. And then <laughs> and the narrator, right? It would not be so easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then dot dot dot. Then yeah. we didn't get telefilm the first round. We were shocked, as was a lot of people. So what do they do? Do they like reject it or what yeah, what is the just, reason well, they just they, reject it? I mean there's there's like there's not an endless amount of money, like Western yeah. Canada, we were applying for the less than 2.5 um, range uh, budget, 2.5 million budget. Mm-hmm. And so they only, I think, financed nine projects that year or something. And it's got, got it. to be for across Western Canada. So that is Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Yukon, and maybe Northwest Territories. I think also... Northwest Sarasota. So, so it's that's like a, a finite, lot. finite for, pool of money for nine projects. And yeah. it also has to span uh, genre and diversity. And at that time it was just gender diversity. And I was like, are you kidding? Because Titus is a white male. And I'm like, are you kidding me? All that work I did for <laughs> women in film. And now it's biting me in the butt because I have a yeah. white male director. We fought for that gender parity. Um, and so we were like, shocked 
But looking back, I'm like, I had never produced a movie before. Why would they give me right. <laughs> all that money? And, and that like, and they had some creative notes that they didn't agree with. And it's just so competitive. It's so like, I think they had like 45 applications that year right. or something and had to choose nine. Regardless, so this is good advice for people too, yeah. right? That are looking to shop things around and don't be discouraged, you know? No, don't be discouraged and just know what you are applying. Like- Give your all into that application package. Like, again, Mm -hmm. don't think that they're going to, well, they should understand that or they should see it. Like the vision, the the director's vision for the film, give it your all. Like talk about everything, the music as well as, you know, the sound. And a lot of times I read director's vision and it's a lot about the look of the film, but you know, you just have to talk about everything and also your passion, especially if you're applying for regional um, financing, you have to talk about your passion for the project because, you know, the mandate of the film is to support filmmakers. Right. Um, they don't really have the expectation of recouping their money back. It, it's mm-hmm. about building, a, building, helping build careers. So regardless, devastated, things then fell apart with that actor. So now this is, this is the down <laughs> And, and, yeah, this is the down. And what, what part of the year was this? Because I, I know we're going to, we got to speed along here a bit, but, yeah. you know, with COVID and everything and then shooting. Uh, oh, this but, was a year before. This okay. was, yeah. So then I'll just like fast track through. So then, you know, some really great things happened over the course of the, the next six, eight months before we applied again. And one of the things is um, I was chosen one of only six producers for the uh, Whistler Film Festival Producers Lab, which was really, really helpful. And my EP mentor was um, David Gross, who did Room and Goon and Kin. So it was like, again, like just if you have a project you're super passionate about, you can also use it as an opportunity to um, get into all of these programs because like those have helped my career so much just in like, Oh, look at how much support she's getting. Right. Um, And yeah, to help with the next project. So yeah. And then we had some other ups and downs, whatever. And then, and then we applied for telefilm again the following year and, and we got it. Oh, so, that's, that's yeah, good of them. That was good. They so, but at that, at that time, we also had a sales agent on board who was one of the jurors at the Jets Initiative. And so what's a sales agent for those that don't know? Okay. So when you go to distribute your film, um, you don't want to have to go to each country and, and create a deal or ha- make a deal with Germany and... Poland and, you know, all over the place. So a sales agent is basically a middle person that is going to take your project all over. And they get a cut or whatever, right? Of the deal. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Who doesn't get a cut? The writer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I could do a whole, um, the producer at him for indie films, but I, we could do a whole talk just about sales agents and distribution. It's, it's, it's there's a reason they call it show business, right? Yes, for sure. So something had happened. We finally got, you know, a talent, uh, an A-list, not A-list, but but definitely a recognizable name to play the role. We were super excited about it. Got, you know, had telefilm. Um, telefilm, one thing to be very aware of when you're working with telefilm is that they have milestones, right? And and so you, you they have to spend the money or you have to spend the money 
in their calendar year, but you don't find their calendar year, March 31st or whatever, but you're not going to find out whether you get the money or not until the end of July. So it, even though they'll be first in, it's better if they're not, because now you have to go, right? Like right. You're fully hanging on that. Yeah. And we, we had this talent and then um, our sales agent backed out like, the day we got our talent, which was just baffling. And then, yeah. And then things started to fall apart again. (laughs) I'll say that that whole thing about the indie, not indie film financing, not working for indie film and the pieces, that's part of the thing is like, I really felt I was building this, um, card, like house of cards. Mm -hmm. And that if ever any one of them didn't, um, or got taken away that it would all fall apart. And then our timeline for telefilm was running low and we didn't have, um, uh, a sales agent and we didn't have investment, but we had to go. So our budget had dropped in half and And you had to go because of the telefilm timing. Yeah. Yeah. You had to hit hit the green button. Go. Yeah. And if we didn't ready or not green light the show that we would lose the telefilm money. Yes. So this is now the the fall winter of 2019. And it's fascinating because the other part of it is we had found this young actor, um, Marlon Kazadi, who is so amazing. This young man is so amazing that anytime I want, I had his headshot on my desk and anytime I wanted to give up, I would look at his headshot. I'm like, I can't like this. Aww. Kid, I just I have to tell this story, and this kid is so good. He's in ninety percent of the movie. Like it's yeah. it, the it, it's pivotal that he's good, and having been a teacher, knowing that fifteen year old boys could go through a growth spurt and be eighteen. Yes. <laughs> with the if this voice drops, that we had to go. So we shot in um, December of two thousand and nineteen in Kelowna, and. This story has been out there a lot, so I don't need to go too too yeah, much we don't into need, you can detail. Google it. You but, can Google Chained yeah. and, and read, all, you know, the, yeah, the details but of I do want to say that the, the film again was about to fall apart and the Kelowna crew just like stepped up like nobody had ever seen before with many people coming in to invest the film, their own money, and also do loans against. Um, our super channel deal like the crew really did save this film and it would not have been made without it so um so grateful to that and but I do also want to say is like you never like and then COVID hit right and so if we wouldn't have gone even though it's most stressful time of my life if we wouldn't have gone when we did this film would not have been made so and and I had some of my high level friends saying Rochelle you're crazy just wait and and I'm like but they said, if this works, you're going to be thought of as brilliant. <laughs> well, and you jammed it in, right? Like it was a 14, 14 mm-hmm. day shoot? Yeah, 14 days. Ridiculous. Like for, that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, the- I don't know. People don't understand that maybe. But like, if you think about episodic TV, it might be seven to 10 days if it's a complicated episode. Yeah. Right? One episode. One episode. You did the whole feature in 14 days. And this kid, he's also underage. So we have to tutor him and that. <laughs> Yeah. And are there hour limitations as well? Yep. Tutoring hour limitations. Our um, AD, first AD, Mike uh, Johansson in Kelowna was a genius. He's (laughs) 
You're, you're like, so... I can tutor him on the side. Does he need he's to know like, math and physics? I did not <laughs> offer that. Titus as well is a teacher. We're like, can he just, yeah. So you're like, am I doing this again? What, why am I doing But luckily the, the kid was just, Marlon, so phenomenally t- talented and so professional. And then Alex Ponovic, we ended up casting as the chained man, which once he auditioned and once we said, this is our guy, any other A-list talent we had ever been looked at, looking at fails in comparison yeah. to what he did. So again, like this idea that, you know, talent wise, you have to go big in order to, ta- we just, we have phenomenal talent here in this province. And, you know, part of it is because of the service work, they're highly experienced and they get a lot of work that can pay their bills doing the big Hollywood productions. And then, so they can do their passion projects. That's right. They- yeah. Adrian Holmes as well, who played um, Pete, the abusive father. I don't know what the film would be without him because he brought such humanity to this role that it just could have went very um, stereotypical or one dimensional. And, you know, we have people that feel for him after watching it, right? It's like, he was just a boy as well at one time and he's just trying to do his best, but he's abusive. So, and he, he and I went like, he's older than me, but we went to the same high school in the (laughs) suburbs in Surrey in the nineties. So, oh my gosh. And we had the same um, theater teacher who was an amazing mentor. And yeah, so he's done so well. So that's so amazing to see. Mm -hmm. Like his career is just just absolutely off the charts. Yeah. Um, So happy for him. Oh, me too. And he's such a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alex as well, Marlon, everybody was still. And Andrea, is it Augur? Yes, Andrea was phenomenal. Uh, we we really lucked out shooting in Kelowna because they're, you know, Andrea, Rourke Critchlow, Emily Holmes, all these really great actors are just like living in Kelowna or <laughs> whatever. So we were like, Rourke Critchlow, I remember him. He was in Days of Our Lives when I was a kid and Pretty Little Things are, <laughs> and Emily Holmes is so wonderful. So we really lucked out with these adult supporting roles just to be able to cast locally. And so, you know, we ended up getting more. And this is another thing that you're not supposed to do with telefilm, but they are just so supportive that they let us do it. I mean, um, I don't know what else they would have done, but we were able to get once we had shot the film and had something to show like a trailer, we were able to get a additional investment quite quite a bit and so that really helped as well so at one point our um, budget when we had the a-list talent name talent was 1.9 million when we went to camera it was 880,000 Wow. And then the end budget all in is 1.2 million. So, um, and I know that sounds yeah. like a lot for people, but it, when you think about oh. like a blockbuster, right? Yeah. Hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. it's nothing. It's nothing. And we were so, when you watch it, like sales agents and di- distributors now, they're like, they can't believe that we shot it for what's less than a million US. They're like, it just the production value is, is incredible. And that's because we had such passionate crew working on it, our DP, Vince Arvidsson. And yeah, like all, all of our key creatives were just phenomenally talented. And, you know, they- Well, and to they, your point, they've they've really earned their stripes in this yeah. in this town, right? Yeah. On other stuff that they, they're not um, coming to this indie work fresh. You know, they're very seasoned mm-hmm. to, do the local, to do the local work. So you, you have all of that at your disposal. And working on TV movies and knowing how to shoot in 14 days- <laughs> Right. <laughs> but but giving something cinematic like it's just yes. it's, it. Nobody would want to do it again. <laughs> no, 
don't Nobody think, ever wants to do it again, no. but then then they do want to do it again. But <laughs> a new do. project, not the same one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Well, it's funny. I always yeah. I always say to my husband, we know so many people in film, obviously he works in film, and I always say there's there's more a lack of scripts than there is a lack of people willing to jump in and help and make something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are always so eager to get these scripts made, but I, I would find, you know, and to your point of, of creating stuff, like there's a lack of some of those stories and scripts out there. Um, yeah, you know, well, it, there's not. The problem is, is the connection between the creatives and producers. Well, maybe right? that's like, what it is. Yeah. How, how do you get these projects? Finding each other. Exactly. Especially during COVID when there's not even any industry events where, where you can meet. And But to your point that there are people who want to jump in, one of the things I had heard over and over again is that crew doesn't care. They're in it for their paycheck. And why will they work on your project when they can be working on, you know, a TV series or, you know, a high budget very mm-hmm. high budget movie and and make twice the money. And that was not my experience. I mean, like I said, our crew stepped up and invested in the film and definitely gave their all because they were passionate about yeah. it. And they had seen what Titus and Vince were doing in the first few days of shooting. And they're just like, we, this film has to be made. We really believe in it. And, and so that whole thing that crew doesn't care, I just don't buy it. Maybe there's some out there that are in it just for the job, but I mean, the same thing in the teaching world, right? <laughs> yeah, any job. And, and <laughs> any I would say, industry. listen, just because people are taking a really nice paycheck from some of the massive production companies and networks yeah. um, doesn't mean they don't know what a good story is, mm-hmm. right? Like, definitely. you know, my husband's worked on a million of those and he's like, some of these scripts yeah. are just <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I'm happy to make the money. Yeah. Um, but you know you're not you're not like moved to tears in a dramatic right. scene on a Friday afternoon. You yeah, know, definitely. wouldn't you? Would you want to be? Of course, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, I would. I think that's why they do it because many got into film because they have a passion about the filmmaking process. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's that allows them to indulge. And I've seen so many people give up weekends, like weekends mm-hmm. and holidays and Father's Day, and to go work on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know? for sure. So, we have a wonderful community here. I think it's very supportive and can't wait to see everyone again for sure. So so this film launched in June. Was that right? Yeah, it had its Canada wide release in June on June fifteenth. So it's now available. You know, iTunes, Google Play, Cineplex Store, and then any cable provider. We had our premiere actually at VIF, which was wonderful. So we did get to watch the movie in the theater. We were one of only 16 films that got, you know, to play in cinema. And we got two, two screenings, both which sold out. So, so That's the Vancouver, the Vancouver International Film yeah. Festival for those, VIF. Yeah. We know um, it by VIF, but not everyone, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's true. And that was, the, that was um, in yeah. 2020, right? It, yeah, this hasn't October, happened yet for this year. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, so that was a real gift to be able to watch it in the theater because it was going to be heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, that, of course. Um, when theaters were closing. So, I know, yeah. man. I, I, I feel like this fall will be a different story, but you just don't know. I don't want to say it. I don't want to yeah. jinx it, but. Yeah. So how, so how are, what else do you have? You've talked about some of the other pieces of yeah. development, but are you still plugging along, like producing now is, is your jam, or are you still kind of diversifying a little bit post well, this massive... So undertaking this, of Chained. Yeah. So Theory of Evelyn, um, I'm just a, a creator of it and a writer right. of it because it really is lovely. We were shooting a teaser and we got some um, development money through Creative BC and CMF. 
uh, Canadian Media Fund and CMPA, the Producers Association. And so we were able to shoot a teaser and it was so lovely to not have to worry about catering. It was just so <laughs> like, oh, there's food there. So oh, and I didn't put it there. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. Um, that's, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it was really. So that project, um, super, super passionate about it. I have another TV series um, that is actually based off a series of books, loosely based, The Vigilant. And um, that we want to do as a co-production. So I'm talking to some Irish um, co-production production companies having been part of a few other programs and then I have three features in development one both sides of the gun which I was at the Jets program um, in February with the writer director um, Greg Melanson and another one uh, across the Voton by Bradley Stryker who is just like this is a really wild ride it's a little bit lower budget like you know, one, 1.2 million, where the other one is 3.5 million. And then also Mist Among the Trees, um, written by Daniel Woburn. But that, that script's interesting, just to go to the point about connecting writers with producers, um, Mm -hmm. is we found that script on Coverfly. Like we had to go. And what's Coverfly? It's an American plat, like it's a platform for Coverfly, I believe does the coverage for script competitions. And my old uh, director of development had some, you know, had read a project, this script there months earlier or something, and just wanted to check if it was still available. And it was, and it's so wonderful. And it's, you know, like placed at some really great um, competitions, even an earlier version of it. And yeah, had to find it on a platform. He lives on uh, on the island in um, oh shoot, Souk is where. And oh, Vancouver and, Island. Yep. Yeah. And so yeah, and then I mean, Greg, I met at a coffee shop. <laughs> and just, do you know how much has been started from meeting someone at a coffee oh. shop? I mean, dates, partnerships, yeah. <laughs> businesses. Right. It's so funny. And it, because you, you create God a relationship first. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's so, yeah. Missed that for sure over the past few months. So it's, yeah. Nice those connections aren't, they're, they're much more forced fit now, right? You have to have a formalized phone call and yeah. You and then Bradley, jam. Bradley reached out to me on recommendation from another producer who um, she thought that I would resonate with it because it's high, high genre, which, um, with a strong social issue attached. So, so yeah, so projects come, I mean, I'm pitched all the time, um, like all the time and read lots of scripts, but you're in it. You're, you're yeah. in it now. Yeah. And no there's more such, physics for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, except theory of evolution. Except for the, yeah, except for your project, channel yeah. for your project. Yeah. And it's, you know, I have another feature that I wrote, one of them that was in development with the different production companies that I want to produce myself, but it's a larger budget, eight to 10 million. And it's- Look at you with the numbers creeping up, huh? Yeah. Well, that's the goal, right? That's Not right. too high though, because you want to keep the ROI um, yes. there. But uh, yeah, and I'm moving to an investor model for my company, which I mean, could be a whole other conversation, just mm-hmm. not wanting to start from scratch um, each time trying to finance a movie, right. which is yeah. you, a company would never do that. Can you imagine every time you wanted to come out with a Go new look product, you would have to start from scratch. So yeah. just trying to have a traditional business model, which is better for investors as, as well. When we didn't get telefilm the first time, that's what I said. I'm like, I'm not letting anybody decide whether or not this film is is worthy to tell. I know that there's an audience for it and Titus, I believe in Titus as the writer and director. So 
you know, that you have to have that confidence and it not happening as easily as it started um, has just built my confidence and taught me what I am made of for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your sort of parting advice? I mean, I hear a couple themes of like, mm. you know, there's money, obviously, if you can have the dedication to reach out and, and get get it and apply mm-hmm. for it, right? Yeah. Uh, also, you know, kind of make, you know, write what you know and write what you believe and write a story that matters to you, not a story that's going, you think is going to quote, be successful, right? Yeah. Work on things you care about. For um, sure. But, but what is your angle sort of as we, as we wrap up? Yeah, I think that, and it's such a cliche, but it's, it's something that I, I do. And, and it's that you have to make sure that the script is awesome. Like even with Chained, like there, there's some issues with it that I knew about at the script stage and I didn't tackle them then. And then we battled it in editing and still I'm not completely, I love the film. I couldn't be more proud of it, but if I could go back to the script stage and would have <laughs> dealt with And people say there, that about so many things they do, right? Yes. But I learning from that, like, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm working with incredible writers, but if a writer does not, not all writers want to develop to the level that I do. And, mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to make sure that the script is awesome. It is so competitive out there, yeah. but also it's so much work. Don't put <laughs> like, once you start like going, you know, into late stage development, pre-production financing, it's so much work. You have to make sure that the the script is solid. And so many times I hear it's good enough or it's good enough. Oh, nobody will notice that. And it's like, no, you have to spend the time on, on development. Yes. And there's no money in development. That's like, you know, Harold Greenberg's probably going away. Hopefully they, somebody, some angel comes in and saves it, but it's done. You know, there's, there's some development money now with creative BC, but it's, everything is so competitive. So people are working for free at the development stage, but it's much easier then than when the movie comes out and it, you can't hide when the story is right. The story is what's going to be shown to everyone and you can't hide behind any of the cracks in that. It's what will attract talent. And yes, it's, yeah. yeah. So I, I would say just that focus on development, which I think is one of the reasons that um, people do so much service work is that, you know, it's it, the money, right? Like yes. you have to, it's money coming in and they have people to pay and, and all of that. But And let's just say those stories aren't always so amazing, Rochelle. Well, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. It's, it's a bit a, of a shocker. It's like you have so much at your disposal. You can't make some of these scripts better. Yeah. It blows yeah. my mind. Like why what what why are we making this stuff? Like mm-hmm. but whenever it happens, whenever it like shifts, then like I feel for myself, like I'm just like creating something bigger here than than one project at a time. And so all of these projects, and that's what I did over the past year is like develop these projects. And so that when one goes you're, you're ready with other ones. And then just, just trusting that trust is huge. Trust is, is huge. Yeah. And a little bit of, <laughs> as you said, naivete, right? Yes. <laughs> we have to you don't want to know dreamers. too much or you won't start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I say it's so funny that this industry is filled with dreamers, but the people are so quick to squash your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> but you just and that goes listen. right across the board from a yeah. writer to an actor all the way down the line, you know? Yeah. 
you have to believe in yourself and that's, that's hard. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. So, Mm -hmm. you know, persevere is what I'm hearing, right? Yes, for sure. But make sure it's a project you care about enough to persevere with and then it won't feel so much like work. You You have to be passionate about it. Like I said, I won't take something on if I'm not passionate about it because it's just not fair to anybody, including myself. Like, cause then I'm, you know, I'll feel like I need to go through with the project, but if, if I don't, if the love is gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I feel like this has been so informative and helpful. It's such a mystery, all of that making, you know, the, the producing and the making and the funding and the executing on those things, like at a, at a local level or a provincial level, or even a Canadian level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find people think it's just a labyrinth, you know, um, and you've really earned your stripes learning about it. So I think that's also a lesson to people is like, you're not going to learn this stuff overnight. If you listen to your story, I mean, you entrenched yourself all over the place Mm -hmm. um, in all kinds of different boards and organizations and, you know, paid and unpaid to be able to to capture the understanding of all of this. And not um, knowing where anything was going to lead, right? Like, it's not exactly. like I even was like, why am I president of women in film when I actually want to be a writer? Like, mm-hmm. it didn't seem, but for whatever reason, I was passionate about it and it was fun and and all of that. And then, you know, it ends up helping me in innumerable ways. Yeah, so, it's all leading, you know, in generally the same area. Yeah. So I, I think that's really, it's really inspirational, to be honest. So thank you so much thank for you. sharing your story. Um, and yeah, if, I'm going to check out Chained. I have not watched it yet, but I've watched some of the trailers. Yeah. I need to do it on a non-stress day, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a day when I'm not feeling super high, uh, high stress. But not it's if take... you're feeling for, like a uh, comedy, because it's not a comedy. So, no, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's serious business. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. It's entertaining for sure. The perform if you're looking for a movie with good performances, that's it's yeah, and something locally made. Remember yeah, that, right? Like something sure. born and bred right here, um, with cast and crew all the way down the line. So yeah. awesome! Congratulations on that to you and everyone that worked on it. Um, and I look forward to see what else you're you're going to do. I mean, I can't wait to see all. You've got so much in the in the hopper there. So really excited to see what the next year holds. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, just thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I always appreciate everyone me. giving, giving really, uh, you talk about free time. I mean, giving up your time to be able to share your story, which is so beneficial to people. So thank you again. Well, thank you for, for doing this because it's important, like case studies and learning about other people's experiences is more valuable than anything you can read in a book or a blog even because it's, um, people are more, you know, authentic and will share. So thank you for, for doing this, for hosting this podcast. Yeah, and we'll see you out there again. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rochelle. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love. Just share it.